And so today I'm going to jump right in and say this little shepherd boy by the name of David, out in a field, was going to be anointed as king. One day his father Jesse was summoned by the prophet Samuel, and Samuel said, Hey, one of your boys, the Lord has told me that one of your boys is going to be anointed as king. And so here is Jesse, and he brings all of his boys in front of Samuel, and Samuel, uh, he looks at all of them and says, Hmm, that's a fine-looking batch, but I don't see him in that batch. Do you have any others? And he said, No, not really. I, well, wait a minute. I do have one. He's out in the field. He's watching the sheep, but he's a young guy. He's dirty, he's nasty, he's filthy. Ah, it wouldn't be him. His name's David. He said, bring him to me. And he brings him to me and he says, that's him. And he anoints him with oil. And today we're going to jump in here and we're going to talk about this young man who would slay a giant in his life. And, and just how he did that. It's one of the most famous biblical stories ever. You know, there are a lot of stories that are cut out of Scripture for kids' Bibles and children's Bibles. But one of them that's always there that you've probably always heard if you grew up in church is this one of David and Goliath. You know, I think it speaks to us because it speaks of the underdog. You know, I, I was telling Allison here a while back, I said, you know what? I look at the tennis players, the basketball players, the high school athletes, and we're runts today. We got to, you and me, that's what I'm talking about. She's short, I'm short, and our kids are little. You know, we're like, man, two runs marry and you get runs. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to work a little bit harder. You got to try a little bit harder. And that's David. David was just kind of the run of the batch. David just showed up. And I think we like the story of the underdog because the story of the underdog means that, hey, something great might happen that's beyond his ability to really do. So it must be God's hand upon him doing these things. So we love the story of the underdog. You know, it speaks, speaks to us of the desire to defeat our enemies. It inspires, us, uh, it inspires us to rise up and to take action to the very thing that we are terrified of in this life. So I love the fact that David, he's just this little guy, and he, he gets anointed with oil, and he's called king, but there are some things that must happen. You would think he needs to grow, but that wasn't it. As a matter of fact, he started serving the king. And one day when, he, when the king was out at the battlefield, King Saul, David goes out there and he goes, Hey, somebody's hollering at you. Somebody's yelling at the whole army. So David takes notice and he says, Why aren't we doing something about this? And his brother says, Shh, Be quiet. You need to cut that out. You're just an arrogant little teenage boy. Hush, get back in the back of the line or go get us something to eat. While we listen to this giant of a Philistine who calls out to us, David would return and he would hear him again and he would say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? So he picks a fight because he talks about the man's privates right there, bam, right? I know that's terrible to say, but I got your attention. And just as it gets your attention, it also got the attention of the Philistine. He's like, come on, boy. Who is this? You're going to send a boy to fight a man? That's crazy, right? Well, now we're going to see that David's affections were turned toward, towards his Lord and Savior. He did the right thing during the wrong times. 
Meaning that even when he was just a little shepherd boy, there was something that David was doing. There was somewhere, someone that he set his affections upon that made all the difference for his future. We're going to talk about the stone that he chooses, the five stones that he chooses, and why he might have chosen five. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. You know, over the years, I've heard a lot of reasons why he chose five stones. Maybe for the five-fold ministry. Maybe it's supposed to be five grace and penalty. Maybe um, the most common view is that Goliath had four other brothers that you'll find out were killed because the army got inspired by what David accomplished. And David's like, well, if the army doesn't take them out, I know that myself and the Lord will. Right. However, David knew it wasn't about the stones. It was the Lord who was on his side. Know this, that God is with you. But the five stones are strategic in defeating your enemies because many of us today have enemies that are staring us in the face. And if we don't listen to the voice of truth, we'll succumb to our own strength, which is not strong enough to overcome the enemies that seek to destroy us. So here we go, five stones for you to utilize as strategy to win against your enemies, to win against your enemies. Today, stone one is this. So the first stone I believe that David had in there might have been labeled this. To set your affections, set your direction, set your attention upon the Lord who is far greater than anything this world, any enemy that this world could present to you. Colossians 1 or Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. There are times where Goliath is so big that if we don't set our affections upon God, we'll become afraid, which will lead us to a place of being defeated. See, I like the way the King James says it in this verse. King James says, set your affections, not just your minds, but set your affections on the things that are above, not on the things that are in this, this earth. David was incredibly affectionate. You understand this? He danced naked before the Lord. He was affectionate about loving God and loving him with all that he had. But he was also a warrior. David might dance before the Lord and you go, man, that's a passionate man. I want to be just like him. And then he'll be carrying a head around. Look at this dude. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? He's a warrior poet. You understand what a warrior poet is? That, that he knows poetry. He plays the harp. This guy looks like he's a peaceful guy, and he is a peaceful guy until he has to take a stand for something. Then he'll step, step up, and because of his affections for his Lord, he will, he will do what needs to be done in order for the kingdom to continue on. See, throughout the Psalms, we see his affections directed to the Lord. They're all throughout the Psalms. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast, a right spirit within me. But what about us? Do we understand that setting what we set our affections on sets our directions? It basically defines the outcomes in our life. So watch. What we set our affections on ultimately gets our direction and one day will become our destination. Most of the time. That's a true statement all the way through. Look, some of you are sitting next to 
what got your affection. You know what I'm saying? Got your direction, wound up getting your destination. Some of you are sitting by someone you hope that takes place somewhere down the road. And others of you are saying, man, I set my affection on the wrong one at one time in my life. We can, we can discuss it however you want to discuss it, but the truth is what we set our affections on ultimately gets our direction and one day will become the outcome in our life if we're not careful. So we need to pay attention to what we set our affections on. When we're in high school, what, young man, what do you set your affection on? Woo, she be looking good. Yeah, man, I want her to notice me. What am I going to do? How am I going to get her attention? Maybe, young women, if you, look, you're not out of this either. I mean, most girls set their affections on guys. So everything they do, what they wear, how they act, what they buy, what they eat, has everything to do with, with what they set their affections on. But look, if we're not careful and we set our affections on the wrong person or we set our affections on the wrong things, addictions can come out of that. See, it gets our direction and ultimately will what? Get our destination. I know people who today, bless their hearts, they have addictions in their life, addictions to pornography, and, and what they look for is as soon as I can get to a device that will show me something that's inappropriate, I need to see it. People who have addictions to alcohol or possibly some type of drug, what are they looking for? The next hit, because their affections are set towards that. And it gets their direction. And if we're not careful, that sin always has an outcome as well. It has a destination as well. And that destination is death is what Scripture says. See, when Jesus is our affection, that's why Jesus says, I came so that they may have what? Life. When we set our affections on Jesus, we have life. And we have life abundantly. There's a great destination there. There's a great outcome in that. See, when you look at David's life, he set his affections, even in his teenage years, upon his Lord, upon God. He was out in the wilderness watching his father's sheep, just being faithful with a few things, and one day he would be faithful with a kingdom. When David was anointed as king, he wasn't even in the original bunch. He had to be called in from the field. And the Lord told Samuel, the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord looks upon the heart, looks upon the affection of that man. And again, David was a man after God's own heart, found in Acts, the New Testament, right? So where we set our affections, where we set our mind determines how we will make decisions and what kind of decisions we'll make. problem I see today in people is the condition of what the Bible calls being double-minded. You understand that? I mean, meaning that, hey, we like to live here and we like to live here. We like to set our affections here and we like to have affections here. So this is why I think Jesus makes the statement that man cannot have two masters, for he will love the one and hate the other. He, you cannot serve both mammon and God, both money and God. Why? Because both have the ability to get you to serve them. So he's saying, don't be double-minded. Set your affections on me and let me provide for you. Psalm 119. David, I believe, penned these words. He says, I hate He's writing on behalf of the Lord, I hate the double-minded. James says double-minded should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Double-mindedness is the foundation for hypocrisy. It allows people to praise God with one face and curse Him with another. It's a mental sickness. Double-minded are divided in their minds. They're divided in their affections. 
If I'm really serious about my journey in this earth, I must make a firm decision concerning my affections. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So let me talk to you real quickly about this word, phreneo, because it's actually where we get the phrase, set your minds, set your affections, okay? And, and, and it's called phreneo, and, and it's in the present imperative active voice, which means this, that it means right here, right now, today, in this moment, set. We, uh, yesterday, we had a tennis tournament yesterday morning. I didn't win, but I didn't play either. It was for my son. So we're over there, and we're between games, and I, and I see the track meet going. And I told the girls, hey, y'all come here. They're about to run the relays. I want, you to, I want you to see the relays. And so we go over there, and I don't know what takes track meet so long. I'm like, come on, quit warming up and all that stuff. Just run the thing, right? But it was awesome to watch because um, here in a minute I said, you'll hear a gun go off. But right before the gun goes off, what do you hear? You hear, sit. That's what the marksman said. Well, he's not a marksman, is he? He'd be shooting this way instead of this way. Right? But, but the starter, that's what he says. He says, set. In other words, you better look straight down your lane. I'm about to pull the trigger, and boom, we're going. You've got to be set. You've got to be ready. And that's, that's what this, this word means. It, it's in the present imperative active voice right here, right now, this moment. Boom, we're going to move forward. We're going to set our minds on the things of God. And this is where David lived. Wouldn't it be awesome? I put in here, give an example of Gomer Powell. Some of you aren't old enough to remember Gomer Powell. Marines, I apologize. Sorry, right, Jason, just stay with me, all right? I love you. So, so here's the thing, right? Gomer Powell, this might be something that he would say. Well, golly gee whiz, I was really wondering if you just maybe might consider, if you feel like it, if, if you think you might, if you would. No, it's what General Patton would say. He would say, set your mind right now. It's time to look ahead. It's time to look up. It's time to move forward. It's time to look in your lane. It's time to run hard. It's time to know that God has created you for this moment in time and space for his plan and for his purpose to happen in your life. Get set. That's the word for nail. It gets translated affections in the King James. Mind in the ESV because there is no English word that can really combine what its meaning is or how you can translate it in the English language. It's, it's combing the visceral, the strong feelings, the emotions with the cognitive, how we think, how we reason, what's rational in our lives. Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, phreneo, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, phreneo, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind, or phreneo, on the flesh is death, but to phreneo on the Spirit is life and peace. Wow, it's, it's, it's our total being. It's setting our minds on the things of God and understanding that having God with us and in us and upon us and going before us means that we are stronger than any foe, any giant that stands before us. Look, you understand if you set your mind, if you freneo your mind on the things of the flesh, do you see what he says it equals? 
It equals death. There's no life in it. I could give you example after example after example of people who set their mind on fleshly things, on earthly things, and they ended up in death. I've had wealthy, wealthy people who have told me I kept thinking I was going to get a fulfillment if I could just get one more raise, if I could have one more opportunity to purchase this or to purchase this or to buy that or to set up my kingdoms throughout the United States and possibly even the world if I could just buy that King Air 350. Only to see it crash and burn. There's no fulfillment in it. But when we set our minds, our affections upon God Himself, then here's fulfillment. Here's strength. We begin to see His provision happen. Sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes 100-fold. It's a promise in His Word. He wants us to live by faith because faith is the currency that moves God. See, I love this because it also has an outcome for me. As I focus upon God, phreneo, as I set my being in Christ, this is what I find. I find a life of peace. So where I set my thinking and my feeling, where I set my affections will predict my outcomes in life. You know, I'm, I'm the type of person that I don't get a whole lot of time at home. Seems like everything robs the time. There's somebody sick. There's another phone call to answer. I got home the other night and my girls came out and they were hugging me and they were loving me. My phone rang. I got on the phone. As soon as I got off the phone, it rang again. I got on the phone. As soon as I got off the phone, it rang again until one of them said, Dad, come jump on the trampoline. It's tough. But here's the thing. I know that my house is a place of peace. It's a life of peace. I don't worry about my wife. I don't worry about my children. It's a place that I fight to get home because it's a decision that I made. I set my affections on, and I'll give you an example here in just a moment, but setting my affections on, on, on a godly person to be my wife that I would know that they would be raised in church, that they would know the Lord. It's important because it brings a place of peace through a choice that's so easy to make. See, where you, are setting your, where you set your affections will influence your decisions. They'll influence your choices, your directions. They influence your entire, entire life. David has spent his teenage years out in the wilderness, out in the fields, tending his dad's sheep, staff in one hand, harp in the other, singing and setting his affections on the Lord. And after he was anointed by King Sam, or by the prophet Samuel, he went back out into the field setting his affections on the Lord again. David knew what he was called to do. He knew that he was called just to expand the kingdom. However God chose to do that through him, whether it's sheep herding or whether it's kingship, regardless, it all belonged to the Lord because that's where his affections were set in his heart. See, it's amazing. David shouts, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? who defies the armies of the living God. David's brothers grab him. They try to shush him. Hey, be quiet, you little arrogant punk. Right? But the problem is that David is the only one who's sizing up the situation properly. He set his affections. Long before he ever stood in front of that giant, he had already set his affections upon the Lord. It's important that we understand Phreneo happens in each and every one of us. Every one of us in here this morning, church, is setting his or her affections on something. And it's going to get your direction, and it's going to have an outcome in your life. Now, I'm not after anybody here. I'm after everybody here. 
Because what we set our minds on gets our direction, and that's our destination. And, and there are so many things in this life that's trying to get our attention, that's trying to get us to go the way of the world, that wants to overtake our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, our phreneo. That we have to pay attention. We have to be made aware. So learn to set your affections on the things above, on God and His kingdom, that you are seated at the right hand of Jesus. You have a different view of everything because you are up here because you have been made righteous through the blood of the Lamb. It's a gift, by the way. Righteousness is a gift. Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. And if you want to read 9 and 10, go ahead. They reaffirm what I just said. It's there. So how do we do this? Well, let's look at three hard exercises in order to set our affections on Christ. So the first one is easy. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule in the Greek means to arbitrate as a judge would. And this means that there are some things that we need to judge in our hearts. Am I really serving mammon here? Am I really serving God here? So that's what he's saying. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You're going to have to arbitrate that. You're going to have to allow God to help you arbitrate that. You know, this week I, I was meeting with a man not even in the church. Doesn't go to, he, here was his problem. He doesn't go to church. He claims to be a Christian. He doesn't want to be in the fellowship of the body because he doesn't feel like you need that in order to be a Christian. So we're just sitting there and we're going back and forth across his desk. He made the appointment, I didn't. So I'm just listening to him and da -da -da -da, he's going on. And I start answering him just with scripture. Just simple, simple stuff. And at the end, one of his friends comes and sits with him. He's listening to us. And before it was over, this is what he said, man, I wished I had your peace. I just wished I had your peace. And it's funny because I didn't think I was in my peace cycle. <laughs> I really didn't. I wanted to light him up. In some ways, I was. Man, really, you don't want to participate in the kingdom here on earth, but you want to participate someday in the kingdom in heaven. Well, where is heaven? It's wherever Jesus is. It's just like Jim said last week. If he's in Albuquerque, he's in Albuquerque. That's where you'll go when you die, to Albuquerque. I was sitting out there going, I rebuke that. Amen. Amen. Albuquerque, they stole my pickup over. Anyway, I hope Jesus does show up and he'll arbitrate some things on my behalf. But anyway, right? See, sometimes trying to cowboy through things is the wrong thing to do if there's not peace. Let peace rule your decisions. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people who have told me they don't or they didn't do something because they didn't have a peace about it. I don't want to tell you the costly decisions I have made without peace in my heart. Some of you know them. Others of you don't. But the truth is the best decisions I ever made is when I sought out the Prince of Peace in every situation of my life and allow Him to rule in my heart. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The second one is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 I love it when, when we are looking to have God dwell in us and us in Him. It's a both and thing that we choose today to, to walk in Christ 
in who he is, to pay attention to what his word says. Some people say more is caught than taught. That's probably true. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, bad company corrupts good morals. The opposite of that is true. Good company creates good morals. So if you have good company, if you're keeping good friendships, then you're allowing them to write the Word of God upon you. Years ago, when I was in the military, there was a, a, a lieutenant that came along in my life. His name was Lieutenant Pack. And I never will forget him because he would invite me to church and, and he would uh, uh, really work on me. I don't know why. He just did. Sometimes he'd irritate me, but he wasn't in my unit, so I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what he had to say. Until one day I, I watched him and he always had the peace of God upon him. Didn't get real, real, real wired up or fired up over anything. One day he invited me to go with him up to Tucson and I jumped in and we rode in his Jeep to Tucson and he put in a CD. I'd never heard of the group acapella. They sing without instruments. That's why they call it acapella. I just figured that out right here on stage. But he put them in, and I mean, it's just a piece in his vehicle. And, and, and we're driving to Tucson, and he began to witness to me. And he said, Curtis, uh, do you ever date non-Christian women? I said, well, I don't check them out. I mean, they don't have to, like, you know, give me a resume. I don't really date, but still. All right, Jim? And anyway, we're talking about this. And, and, and one day he said this. He said, you know, you should. And if you don't, I want you to know my formula. I've never forgot it. He said, it's CDM. That stands for convert, date, marry. I've never heard that before. Maybe you heard that. I don't know. I made him famous today. But Jim had an influence on me because he said, you need to start thinking about where you place your affections, about who you pay attention to, about how you want your kids raised, about the destination, if you're not there, that your kids may wind up someday because you're not in their lives. There is that possibility, by the way. Right? And so he, he began to write the Word of God on my heart. I had another man by the name of Buddy Young, who's still at WT, who one day just turned and looked at me after a mission trip, and he said, young man, you do not go back into the Army. That's not what you're supposed to do. And I thought, well, shoot, that's where I'm headed. And he said, that's not what you're supposed to do. He said, you have a call on your life. Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to meet with me every week. I'm going to assign you scriptures to memorize, and those scriptures are going to be written on your heart, and the minute you don't do it, we will never meet again. Jeez, I thought I was back in the army. And you know, we did that. And he wrote scripture on my heart, and I memorized it. I used to sit there in my room thinking, man, why am I studying these scriptures when I'm taking 17 hours and I need to graduate soon? But God wanted me to know his word. Write his word on your heart. Psalm 119 speaks to me, it'll speak to you. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. We wrestle with the things of this world because we're, we refuse to wrestle with God and his word. We've got to get into his word. And the third thing is wholehearted living. Wholehearted living. Right, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I've been around the people that always say, well, praise God. Jeez, I used to try to rope calves. Hey, heck, Tyler, you're here. You've seen it. It's a mess. And so, you know, I rope the calves and run down there and tie them, and I say, praise the Lord. Miracles still happen today. Look at that. You know, sometimes that gets a little bit overhand. 
I mean, I, I've had people that had so much joy in the Lord, I just want to slap it out of them. I'm tired of hearing it, right? I mean, come on, you've been around it. But, but, but come on, we're supposed to live in the Lord. And, and here's the thing, wholehearted living means this. It means, yes, everything that we have, everything that we do belongs to the Lord because He has our heart. It's wholehearted living. What comes out is it comes out because that's what's in. That's what's there. So I need to put away double-mindedness, put away divided affections, and set my affections on the Lord. You know, this creates our character. Have you ever thought about having godly character like the Scripture states? Just having godly character. You know what I love about godly character? Is that oftentimes what you will see is godly character will carry you through when you have nothing left. I've been there. I've been in churches. I, I, it wasn't too many years ago. I sat in a church that called a huge conference on me because I just made this plan and said, look, everybody's going to meet with me and I'm going to teach you how to go through this plan so that we're not shooting arrows every direction, but we're going to shoot arrows one direction. And if you refuse to go, you won't sit on any committee in the church. Yeah, it caught attention. I grabbed some arrows from that one, right? And I remember sitting in that meeting and hearing false accusations towards me. And then all of a sudden, God said, they can't get your character. You mean well. You're not perfect. The best of man is man at best. But here's what you are. You are in me. And because you're in me, I'm going to do something great. And I tell you what, yeah, we had people walk. 16 people walked that night out of church. I wound up with more stuff in my lap than I could carry. From the finance to everything else. I quit. Done. I'm not going through your silly class. Right? But a year later, one of the most awesome things happened. That church doubled in size. We had one shot and it was at God. Let's build his kingdom. Let's do this. Let's all get in this thing together. Let's row the same direction. We've got all these other ministries out there. Let's, let's define it and let's move forward. And it was awesome because even one of those couples called me a year later and asked me to come out to their house they were no longer part of the church and baptize them. You know why? Because they knew I was a man of godly character. No matter what was said, no matter, even in that meeting, it was hard on Allison. She just left. See? <laughs> you have to understand when you, you step out and lead something, there's going to be some shots come your way, but don't lose your character over it. Character takes so long to build, and it's, it's so easy to lose. Got to maintain our character. But in saying that, as far as wholehearted living, let me say, and let me close with this. Men and women, don't be afraid to stand up for what's right and oppose what's wrong. We got too much of this stuff. Well, I'm wholehearted living. Jesus loves everybody. I'm just going to love you. Okay, well, good. Why are you going to love them straight to hell? You didn't do them any good. So don't be afraid to stand up and to take a stand and let God begin to work through your life you know who's going to be the voice for those who have no voice who cries out on behalf of the unborn church it's because the church is no longer wholehearted living we look like the culture we think it's women's right rights out there and that we should support that but what about that unborn out there that has no voice that has no chance at life stand for what's right that's part of wholehearted living see so whatever I say or whatever I don't say comes from a place, does not come from a place of internal dividedness, rather from a place of wholeheartedness. The decision's already been made before I get on the field. I'm willing to be wholehearted. And part of that is learning how to be vulnerable. 
Look, I have men in my life that will speak truth to me. That sometimes will make me angry. Sometimes I want to try to convince them wrong they're, that they're wrong. And here's what I've learned through the years. When everybody else is wrong and I'm the only one right, I might be the one with the problem. It's not wholehearted living. You've got to have truth tellers that can speak into your life. Now, I don't air my dirty laundry out in front of everyone. I don't throw pearls to the swine to watch them rooted around. But what I do is I have some men that can and will, and I'll allow them to speak truth into my life. Be vulnerable with your gifts and talents as well. The gifts that God's given you, begin to take confidence in those. We have a church out there full of gifted people. God just pours his gifts out lavishly because he loves his children. And then they say, uh, I'm kind of scared to open this one. I remember years ago I was asked to, uh, I was helping with the youth group and I went over and the singer for that night didn't show up and they said, hey, Curtis, uh, would you get your guitar and just lead us? Jeez, that was 20 years ago. I was scared to death. I was shaking so bad. I, I was looking at my fingers just trying to find the chords. I, and, I, and shoot, my mother put me in guitar lessons when I was in first grade. It wasn't new to me, but I was scared to death. And now people are asking me to stop playing. But regardless, use your gifts and talents. Learn to live through that wholeheartedness that God has placed in you. See, David's life of solitude in the sheepfolds honed his discernment to a razor's edge. He had a keen awareness of God's presence. Just a, a casual reading of the Psalms reveals a man who set his affections upon the Lord. Psalm 19:14. let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He had a keen sense of God's presence. And discernment as a young teenager, a sheep herder whose affections were set, he set them. On your mark, get set. Get ready to go, church. And the entire army was held captive by fear. The one that released them was a shepherd boy who had his affections set upon the Lord. The other four stones that he had sling, he didn't even have to use. Not in his sling, but in his pouch. He didn't even have to use because the other four giants were slain by the army that was set free from David's walk of faith. Church, that's you. That's you. Look, David's mind and heart was captivated by the Lord. He knew victory was at hand, that God was with him. He went down to the brook, he gathered five smooth stones, and the boy slayed the giant, and he rallied the army of God. That's you. Rally the army of God in your work. Rally the army of God in your family. Rally the army of God in your lives. What gets your affection gets your direction, gets your destination. Rally others to come along on the journey and begin to take the land of the Lord. Take what's ours. Set our affections on the things above and watch the Goliaths in our life be slain. That's us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for each and every one here today. Everyone has a giant. They come along. We may not see them yet. They could still be growing somewhere and haven't shown up on the battlefield. But God, I pray that in the times of peace, that's when we quicken our hearts 
That's when we sharpen our swords. That's when we meet and set our affections upon you and you only. So when the day comes, the giant will fall. In Jesus' name, amen.